Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasstock, currently on day 25 inside my house here in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus, actually on day 26 here in Washington, D.C., but who is counting at this point? We want to thank all of you for listening to NACIO Voices and hope that you all are staying safe and healthy. As we mentioned last week, we have temporarily moved to releasing podcasts every week and are focusing on how state CIOs are responding to COVID-19. Today, we are thrilled to have our immediate past president and Delaware State CIO, James Collins. James has been CIO in my home state of Delaware for five and a half years, almost making him ancient. James has served under two different governors and, of course, has been very active in NACIO for many of those years. James, thank you for giving us some of your time today. We know you're extremely busy and uh, welcome to NACIO Voices. Well, thanks, Matt and Amy. It's great to uh, to be with you guys today. James, let's start off with, uh, I'll ask you to tell us briefly how things are going in general in Delaware. I know your state's been proactive in its response to COVID-19, but how are things going? You know, I usually have to ask someone what day is it, day of the week, because for the last few weeks, it feels like it's just been a long day. Groundhog day. Um, yeah, but whenever you think it's it's tough and it, it's been very disruptive to just our normal routines, I would say that I think the governor and his team have had a really good measured approach to this. And when I think about my colleagues in health and social services, public health, DEMA, uh, and then you, you think about those people that are impacted by this, this pandemic and infected and have lost loved ones, it just kind of gives you the strength to kind of dig in and, and move on and, and make progress and, and do what you can. The schools are closed. Businesses are closed. We have a shelter-in-place order here, and most of the state employees across the state are working remotely at this point. That's kind of the state of things in Delaware. So last week, Governing put out an article that I thought was really good that you were also quoted in by Alan Greenblatt about how the coronavirus has the potential to reshape government technology. And he wrote the following But at all levels of government, there's a realization that technology is not a nice option. It's absolutely essential. In the present situation, it's the only thing allowing many governments to function at all. So I just thought that was an excellent observation of what you are dealing with right now and your fellow state CIOs. So on the IT side of things, what has your team been focusing on and what are the biggest challenges that you're dealing with right now? Yeah, and I thought Alan did a good job of kind of capturing the moment uh, in that in that article, and uh, and I agree with uh, with what the things he said in in the article about you know we've said for some time that Delaware government runs on technology, and that's not to take away we have great people delivering service all across the state. When you're a CIO and you've got a motivate and inspire a technology team that is once, twice, three times removed from the actual service delivery. You got to do everything you can to connect the work that they do with applications, infrastructure, and, and network, and security to an actual outcome. Mm-hmm. And so ours, the, the way we do that is we say Delaware runs on technology. I had a virtual town hall meeting last week 
with my team. And I said, you know, we're certainly grateful to the healthcare workers that are on the front lines and the public safety officers and those that are our correctional officers and those that are in public facing service positions that have to go to work and still have to do their job. I mean, we've got social workers that go out and, and investigate child welfare incidents, and they still all have to do their jobs. And we're grateful to them. But my message to my team was the work we do enables that work to happen. So you're just as critical as those first responders, those healthcare workers, because they're doing such important work right now. And the technology, when they turn to it, it just has to work. And so we're definitely integrated into the COVID response in a very big way. Even if you go to our Delaware.gov and you look at the data that is the most referenced visited site is our COVID site in the state right now. In our Department of State, we have the Government Information Center that actually develops uh, the website. And then they partner with us to put this data in that you see on our COVID site. That data is a tool that our team helped put together and it's communicated out multiple times a day, all day, every day. Everyone is monitoring that. So from a data perspective, we're involved. We got heavily involved in the beginning when it was clear that social distancing was needed, figuring out solutions and how to take digital government and move all of the employees home, but still have to be able to do their job, still have security, all of those different things, still have phones, uh, still have access to the applications that they use to deliver service, make sure we have enough network capacity. If you think about, and maybe I'm getting a little ahead here, but if you think about the onslaught that the Department of Labor has been enduring, we're right there with them, making sure that when folks go to that website, that it's up, that it's secure and it's ready for them to access their benefits. So each agency across the state has had to rethink how they deliver services. And our team, and I couldn't be more proud of the work that they've been doing. Uh, And I've heard from multiple leaders just being grateful for their work. Our team has been right in there with them, figuring out how they radically change the way they deliver services during this pandemic. That's great. Can you talk a little bit about cybersecurity threats that you have had during this crisis? Everyone we've heard from has seen an uptick. Even individual citizens are seeing, you know, more phishing emails and things like that coming through. So how are you dealing with that? You know, there are many parts of this that make our chief security officer, Solomon Adolte, myself and our other leaders nervous. There's a lot of things that we're rolling out rapidly and making sure that we're paying attention to the security components of that. If you think about delivering IT in a state, a lot of times it's evolved some, but in essence, we have all these systems and data that we're protecting, and we have employees that are inside of our network accessing those systems and data. And then we've got citizens coming in and accessing those systems and data with some security controls in place uh, there. And so what we've done over the last few weeks is we took all of those employees and put them outside of our network and then gave them access into the network. And that took a lot of planning and coordination from our infrastructure team, our security team, 
So when you say security, those are the, that's the first thing that came to my mind is it feels like the threat has significantly increased and we've had to make sure we have controls in place to mitigate that threat by, by moving all of those people outside of our network and then giving them access back in. And then there are some that are, mm-hmm. you know, and the majority were using devices that we control. And now some are using devices that we don't control. And so we've got to make sure that we're protecting against uh, vulnerabilities that we may not even know about there. So the threat level is absolutely up. And then you add the phishing and uh, other threats. People are trying to deceive our users. So we put out a monthly uh, security newsletter out of our chief security officer's office. And our most recent edition of Did You Know? was all about being aware of the new threats that exist with telecommuting, with COVID-19. We're not only on the back end putting controls, but we're also focused on making sure that our team and our, our employees are aware of those threats and looking out for them. It sounds like that is certainly a challenge to be able to address all of that in the midst of this pandemic. You know, we've also heard from a bunch of states that have never had a work from home culture, and now they're sending the majority of their workforce home. We've also heard from CIOs who've talked about procurement timelines disappearing and states who are frantically trying to modernize legacy systems all in the midst of this crisis. What are some of the examples of ways that you have had to quickly change the way business has been done? Can you talk about that for a minute? Sure. So at the Department of Technology and Information, we had a pretty robust alternative work schedule, telecommuting policies in place, and our team members were taking advantage of that. Frankly, it's, it's one of our recruitment and retention strategies, but, you know, flexible workplace, flexible work hours. And so we were pretty well equipped to work from home. And then we had a, a subset of employees across the state that were pretty well equipped to do that. But over the last couple of weeks, we've had to adapt most state employees to be able to do that. And uh, we had to take quite a few. We had to expand some of that functionality that we had in place for a relatively small group. We had to increase licenses for VPN access uh, back into our state. There are some employees that really didn't have a device to come back into. And so we had to, you know, put in remote desktop services for those agencies, for like entire agencies in some, in some respects, put in an expedited process for us to be able to know who those employees are and get them set up with the right profile, the right security and the right access, quickly ramp up on giving them guidance on when you're home, you know, this is how you do it. And, uh, and as much as we put in a lot of those efforts to do that, uh, we still saw a 40% increase in uh, calls to our service desk, uh, which, you know, we're glad we can be there for all of these employees to help them get set up so that they can continue to be productive, employed, and at the service of, of the people in our state. We had to quickly launch soft phones for those that needed a state phone connected to their device. One of the things that Uh, we've all been really involved in is launch multiple platforms to enable virtual meetings and and get everybody spent up and get the right controls in place. 
uh, from a security perspective on those as well. So it's definitely been busy. The, the team has been working around the clock. You know, it's like those requests come and say, we need this tomorrow. And the, and the team has been working to stand all of those things up and, and get them in place. So I think it's obviously hard to prognosticate in general, but especially difficult right now. But which of those processes or decisions that you've made during this crisis do you think might never be the same again, even potentially for the better? Oh, good question, Matt. I, I think that there are a number of things that, that won't go back to the way that they were before this pandemic. If you just think about telecommuting, I would say there was a relatively small amount of our workforce that telecommuted. And uh, and some of that was really due to some technological barriers that we've had to aggressively overcome. But then there were, you know, some fictitious barriers. They just they just weren't really barriers. They were kind of people's mental mindsets of uh, of folks that are telecommuting. There's a there's certainly a part of our workforce that looks for are you in your seat? Have you been in your seat when you were supposed to be? Doesn't necessarily translate to you adding value. And uh, in the information age, we're at a point where you think about productivity and is this person adding value? And I think that that barrier has kind of come down and, uh, and we're going to leverage that working relationship uh, going forward. And that's just one. I mean, the way you know, people were driving up and down for meetings and going all over the place for meetings. I think you'll see a much larger portion of meetings be held virtually in, in a very efficient way. So that's one of the things. I also think that our disaster recovery whole planning process needs to be closely looked at and revamped because what we had in place for disaster recovery is not this. You know, we were planning, we're going to, if if this building is unavailable, we're going to move these employees over to this building and, and they're going to be in, still inside of our network and, and going to be able to accomplish their jobs. And we've got to think about future social distancing. I mean, I have a whole list of things that I think aren't going to change, but I'll, I'll stop there. And uh, no, that's great. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit is customer relationship management. And when you were an SEO president just last year, which seems more like 10 years ago right now, you put a, fr <laughs> a strong focus on customer relationship management. And you and I actually worked on a publication around CRM together. Can you talk a little bit about how your own internal focus on CRM has been beneficial during this pandemic? And also on the other side of that, how has the pandemic affected how you interact with your agency customers? Oh man, I, I I love that question because uh, it you know it makes me think about our newly minted chief of partner services, Justin Day. So in the last couple months, we interviewed and and selected Justin Day for that position as chief of partner services, and like right after he was in the job, this whole ordeal started, and uh, and so he was just kind of thrust into the new role and into making sure that all of our state agency partners had what they needed to continue operations. Because even though the governor declared a state of emergency, he also in that declaration made deemed state government essential. Mm -hmm. And so we had to socially distance and remain open. And so he was on the tip of the sword and kind of figuring out he and his team, I should say, our customer engagement team 
have been the ones interfacing with the agencies to understand what their plan is and then bringing that back and say, this is what we need to do to help them meet that objective. So they've been an absolute core part of how we've been able to meet the needs. And I I don't want to understate it when I've heard from the other branches of government, I've heard from other elected offices, as well as my colleagues across the executive branch cabinet about how they would not have been able to adapt their services had it not been for the services of our team and our engagement folks were the critical link that uh, enabled that to happen. That's awesome. James, unlike the majority of state CIOs, the Delaware Department of Technology and Information provides some sort of services to every single agency across the state, including the state legislature. Can you just expand on that business model uh, as it relates to the current pandemic? Sure. So, yeah, you're right. We, we provide services to the Delaware uh, legislative branch, which we're, you know, we're honored to be a partner with them, our legislature uh, was scheduled to come back from the uh, budgetary break a couple weeks ago, and uh, they did not come back and they closed down uh, Legislative Hall. And we are working with them right now to conduct virtual meetings and, and get them set up. I mean, it's kind of a day by day thing, but we're closely aligned in their planning on how they're going to get the budget completed, how they're going to get critical pieces of legislation done in this environment and uh, and they've you know invited us into that planning process to figure out uh, what, what that looks like has there been any conversation about them moving to you know remote voting I know that's been a conversation here in DC at the federal level but just you know whether or not that's been discussed at all yeah there's a there's a few things going on my direct response to that question would say I think everything's on the table <laughs> right. uh, there for them. And one of the other things that's happened is the governor put out a part of the state of emergency is he said that public bodies who can meet virtually, so either through teleconference or video conference. And so we're working with all of the agencies, including the legislature, to figure out how does that work from a technology perspective? How does the public continue to be able to participate in the democratic process? virtually. And so that's something that we're working closely with the the Delaware legislature and frankly, all of the agencies, because most of them have boards that meet as public bodies. So that's been an interesting component that we're working through. And uh, and I think uh, we're definitely going to be successful there. The technology components are there, but you got to bring in the legal components as well to make sure that that access, the correct access is there. And you mentioned we also provide network services and other services through our K-12 environment. And we've been working closely with them to kind of help figure out the strategy on distance learning for the 140,000 students across Delaware. Yeah. On that same note, pretty much every single school is doing some sort of remote learning, right? In Delaware? That's correct. So initially the governor said, we're going to close the school for two weeks and monitor the situation and do some planning. When it got close to the end of that two weeks, it got extended out until uh, the middle of May. And he all, and at that point, the governor directed all of the school districts to put distance learning processes in place. And those plans vary from all online and live classes to parents 
being provided with paper packets for elementary school kids and other grades as well. So they are all currently deploying those distance learning strategies across the state. They've had to navigate some tough issues. It's very complex, and and I applaud administrators from all across the state that have really dug in, not only to continue delivering instruction to the, the kids, but to stay connected to them. One of the first things they stood up, and I know this isn't a technology thing, but it's important, is providing meals to those kids that need it. Because I, I think we don't necessarily think about school as providing meals to kids, but yep. there are some kids that if they don't get a couple good meals at school, they're really uh, food insecure. Good points. Absolutely. And so, James, I know a lot of the, your fellow state CIOs are serving in similar roles right now, literally keeping state government running with technology and facing a lot of these same challenges. So any lessons learned so far that you want to share? Oh, this is always the tough one. Um, you know, this when we're rolling out technology in a rapid way, there's bound to be some lessons learned. I feel a little better this week because there's some technology we rolled out and the uh, you can't make the assumption that everyone is technologically literate or inclined. And so it was paining me a little bit that we were rolling out some new functionality and services without thorough documentation. Our OCM team has been working feverishly to adapt documentation to what we've rolled out and where we've put out a website around business continuity for all of our partners, which has been getting great traffic. So, so for folks to know exactly what we offer and how to access it during this emergency, I think that website has been very helpful. So from another lesson is that You know, we live in the technology space, and I think there's a lot of things that we take for granted. But what I've discovered as I engage with my colleagues across the state, that there are some issues that them and their teams are grappling with that are not that tough for us in the technology space. But they wouldn't think to ask us about that challenge because it's not like directly connected to technology. It could be something uh, like timekeeping for emergency workers. It could be childcare centers. The governor last week designated emergency childcare centers because uh, what everybody uh, quickly discovered is that healthcare workers and first responders and all those folks they still need childcare. Yeah. And so childcare centers were closed, and then they reopened some and designated them emergency childcare centers. You wouldn't just think like. Wouldn't it be awesome to map those and people to be able to go to a site and see which ones were available in their area? But that's the way we think. Mm-hmm. And so one of the lessons learned for me is just to stay really close. Listen, not only listen for technology implications in the conversation, but listen for technology opportunities where technology can be a force multiplier. It can be a communication tool uh, and it can it can actually help with the strategy. I love that. You know, one of the things I didn't get to mention during my questions that I would be remiss if I if I didn't is one of the things that has been just there's just been so many acts of kindness and goodness that are happening. And the amount of collaboration is at unprecedented levels during this crisis. And one of the things that's really warmed my heart is that there's been so many reach outs from our industry partners. 
to see how they can help. And they have absolutely been, and not only in Delaware, but in other states as well, they have absolutely uh, come to the rescue with services that are, you know, they're offering licenses, trial periods, literal on the ground assistance. And so I, I didn't want to end this interview without mentioning that they, the, our industry partners are a huge part of our collective response to this pandemic and uh, really grateful to have them and all of the other collaboration and, and also you guys at NASIO as well. Thanks, James. We, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, James, before we finish, I know that we are living in unprecedented times. None of us have really ever seen anything like this before. And in addition to the extra pressures and anxiety everyone's facing at work, that certainly doesn't end when we go home or when we go downstairs from our home office to uh, to see our family, as I'm going to do when we get off the phone. So I just wanted to ask, how are you and your family doing? Oh, well, thank, thank you so much for asking. My family and I are doing well. So my, my daughter is home from college. Uh, they sent her home probably about three weeks ago, and she's doing distance learning somewhere else in the house right now, I believe. She brought our, our grand dog home. I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, we, we sure. now have a grand dog <laughs> who is a uh, long-haired dachshund named Luca. Okay. And, and my wife, Sharon, is doing well, and uh, and we're getting to spend quite a bit of time together. And But, you know, we're all healthy. We're all doing good. And, and I would say this little point, bringing up Luca just reminded me of something. I think from the people that I've been talking to, dogs are living their best lives right now. Yes. 100%. I mean, they've got their owner's home. They're going out for walks. They're getting treats. They're getting cuddles. <laughs> I think one of the things that we'll have to address is this some telehealth or tele, you know, counseling for the dogs after this is over because Absolutely. separation anxiety is going to be real. Yeah, their dreams <laughs> have come true. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Thanks so much for asking. Me. James, we just want to thank you so much for speaking with us today. We know it's a, a crazy time and really appreciate it and look forward to talking to you soon. And take care of yourself, oh, please. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you guys didn't mind a little levity. I got to find things to smile about uh, these days. Yes. Thanks for being such a good friend to Nasio and for coming on our podcast with short notice. Totally enjoyed it. Okay. Be well. You too. Thanks, James. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Nasio Voices. For now, we will continue to highlight the voices of state CIOs and how they're responding to the COVID-19 crisis. Please share this podcast with your colleagues who might find it useful. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.